are back once again. We've been on a really good run as of late. I feel like things have just been really rolling. Things have been going smooth. And this is episode 108. Um, a lot of good things. A lot of good things in my mind. Um, a lot of good energy. I ran into some people. I forgot to even tell you about this, but I've been running into people who listen to the podcast and they've been giving us very good compliments on That's good. the content and the way things have been and stuff like that. So I'm feeling pretty good here. And Wimbledon is over and we're kind of in a, a light lull. Yes. Um, how are you feeling? Again, uh, it's a light lull. Thought there was going to be no news, but uh, wherever there's a little bit of news, I can find it. And I was able to find some interesting uh, material. Beautiful. Well, it's your boy, Jay. For those of you who this is your first time listening with my co-host, Mark Figueroa. Um, is Alcaraz a topic today? Unfortunately, no. Okay, I just had to say his name at least once. Okay. There you go. Awesome. Um, yeah, episode 108. The journey has been long. Where are we going? Oh, episode 104 was the two-year episode. Oh. I forgot. Oh, well. Oh, well. But there will be future episodes. Um, what are we doing, man? What are we talking about? What's happening? Okay, so we'll start with Sharapova news. Uh, well, Sharapova just, news? Yes. The it, retired it, one? Yes. It, it's... Well, it's it's not tennis related, but big enough. Okay. She just had her first child. Really, uh, boy! Wow! So congratulations to Sharapova. Last time I checked, she was dating um, Dimitrov. That was a long time long ago. Long time ago. Wow! Yes. Congrats to her. She's she's starting another chapter in her life for sure now. Correct. So congratulations to her. So now uh, going on to the tennis news, uh, the Williams sisters make their return. Now, everybody was wondering when is Serena going to make her uh, comeback. She did say that she was going to play after Wimbledon. And she announced that she was going to play in Canada and in Cincinnati. Mm. What are your thoughts of uh, Serena really going heavy before the U.S. Open? Uh, I'm excited for it. I think it's extremely necessary. I don't expect major results from her. But I think we kind of went over this a little bit prior. But her swings, her strokes look amazing. It's the movement that I felt was a little bit lacking. And even then, she had a lot of opportunities to beat the player who ended up making it to the fourth round at Wimbledon. So I have high hopes for her. And I'm really excited to see her playing a serious tournament. She's signing up for two tournaments that have heavyweights at them. Correct. So this is no joke. She's going to face slam-level opponents, people she will see at the U.S. Open. So this will give us an extremely accurate gauge of what we can expect from her moving forward. As a matter of fact, now that you brought it up, 41 of the 43 top uh, 45 players will be in Canada. Wow. So uh, she's going to be playing them. And also Venus Williams accepted a wild card in Canada as well. She has not played a singles tournament in 12 months. And it's going to make her return in Canada. What are your thoughts on that? For people who don't really keep track of the timeline, it wasn't that long ago Venus Williams was playing Serena in, I want to say it was the semis or the final of the Australian. It was the final of the 2017. Yeah, that was not long ago. So I'm excited to see how Venus looks. Venus has the type of game where she does take big swings, has a big serve. She, She plays a pretty big game for the most part. And on a hard court, there's opportunity there. And... With the way the WTA has been looking, I wouldn't even sleep on Venus Williams. 
So this is a great opportunity for both of them. And I think that this slight lull in the WTA is almost a, a catalyst for some of these people to come back into the tour and try to make some noise. Yes, uh, she looked pretty good in her uh, mixed doubles. Yeah. Uh, her movement's great. And uh, I think, uh, as you just said, the WTA right now is so out of whack that she could make noise. Yeah. Now in uh, Cincinnati, uh, Osaka is supposed to make her return. Mm. Now, right now, she's busy with a Levi collection. Uh, she just uh, released her new Levi collection lines. Uh, wow. uh, first off, do you expect any anything from Osaka in Cincinnati? Honestly, I do. I anticipate Osaka making noise for the rest of the hardcore season. I, I'm pretty sure she's been playing, but you know, once again, it's one of those things where Osaka flourishes where she's confident. And I think that we're we're stepping into her time of the year where she feels most comfortable on the oh, court. Oh, of course, yes. And I think that's going to show on the court as well. She's fairly fit, you know. Last time I saw her on the court, she did look good as far as fitness goes. And her game is her game, you know. Her game she was doing three years ago is going to do damage on the tour right now. So if she's playing any better than that, you should expect to see her make deep runs at the hardcore events. Yes, and a real quick shout-out now going on to the ATP uh, congratulating uh, Surundulu, who won uh, uh, a clay court event. Mm-hmm. And then we have Maxine Cressy, who won uh, in the Hall of Fame in Newport. So Big. Yes, and he beat Bublik, who was uh, actually winning on, winning a set and fairly easily. Mm-hmm. And uh, Maxine Cressy came back. So for those of you who don't know who he is, he's a rare servant volleyer nowadays. And he lost to Nadal in Adelaide in australia the tune-up tournament before the australian open Mm -hmm. so if you don't know who he is you guys need to start knowing who he is because he's making some noise yes he is so uh congratulations to the champions now moving on to djokovic we have some bad news for djokovic now we were wondering when he was going to make his return to the tour well it's not going to happen in canada the Mm. prime minister said uh it doesn't matter who you are you need to be vaccinated and you're not, so you're not going to play. Uh, mm. What are your thoughts on Djokovic? And we still don't know uh, And in the United States what the policy is for COVID right now, so he may not even play at the U.S. Open either. So what are your thoughts on that? It's going to be very interesting. I, I anticipate him possibly not playing at the U.S. Open. And this is something that I think Novak Djokovic himself is anticipating. So odds are not in his favor, you know. Last this past Australian Open, he didn't really get to do anything. No, and I'm curious how long they're gonna have a vice grip on those policies, because the the COVID buzz is withering, although the virus itself is not. Right. So I'm very curious to see when the social aspect fizzles out enough for the tournaments to bring him back into play, because it's not talked about nearly or searched online as much nearly as it was prior. But it's equally it, relevant. It's still there. Yes. Yeah, it's equally relevant. So I know that these tournaments do have a reputation to uphold. So even if they did feel like if the, if the event coordinator felt, okay, COVID's kind of come and gone in my opinion. Like people aren't talking about it. The last thing they want is their, the next media headline to be tournament backpedals on policy after only one, one year or something like that, you know? So... I'm curious to see if they're willing to put a reversal on their policies 
or if they're going to stick to their guns and we won't see Djokovic again in a major tournament until next year. Yes, and even in Australia, oh, I, I believe that they're even the harshest uh, yeah. in, when it comes to that. So he may not even play Australia where he's the king. Yeah. So I don't know where, where he's going to be uh, winning his slam. So. He'd have to win two slams next year, Wimbledon and the French. Right. If he's, That's being optimistic. So. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot to figure out for him there. Yes. So moving on to a little bit of Zverev news. He's confirmed that he is still hopeful of playing at the U.S. Open. So we do know that he had a ligament issue when he played Nadal. Mm -hmm. But he said that uh, he has a a torn uh, ligament, several torn ligaments. (sighs) But he's still hopeful that he will play at the U.S. Open. Do you think that that could be true? Sports medicine has been making rapid progress, but I'm very... I think it's a personal bias, but I just don't believe people can recover quickly with knee issues. I just don't have faith. So I'm going to assume he won't be there. And if he is there, I'm going to assume he's not going to last. That's my assumption. Although he is a major threat at the U.S. Open. Yes. He's a great U.S. Open player. So he is. We'll see what happens, but I have my hopes really low. If I were a fan or against him, either way, hopes are low. For what you just said, I could definitely see the optimism for him saying that. Mm-hmm. But to recover that quickly, especially how he left the French Open, I, I don't see it. But uh, hopefully he comes back because he could definitely be a threat for sure. Now we're going to have some Dominic team news. Now he's finally found a gear of his own. Now mm. he uh, made it to the quarterfinals of the previous clay court tournament. He ended up losing to the finalists of that clay court tournament he lost to Baez who's a good uh, uh, challenger player and he made the final mm-hmm. and on the way to the quarterfinals he beat Batista Agut mm-hmm. on clay on clay on clay do you think that Dominic team is back a little bit yes I do I did watch some of his match play and Dominic team is looking more and more like the old Dominic team I saw some backhand winners I saw some big swings I saw some better movement on the court, although I, he wasn't supposed to lose his movement, obviously. But he's starting to look more like the guy who was a grinder. I don't know if you remember, but there's an era where Dominic Team was playing the most events on the tour. Yes. He was playing like 25, 26 tournaments a year. He was basically Casper Rudd. Yeah, he was everywhere. Yes. And he built up his points, got his ranking up, then he slowed down the schedule, and he won the bigger events. Smart. And... He really is reminding me of that version of himself right now. He's looking a lot like the guy who just grinds and grinds and grinds and builds himself up. And people should be afraid because that version of Dominic team was sneaking wins on people left and right. Uh, they're in a, another clay court tournament in Europe mm-hmm. and he just won as well. So he, he's on to something. He, he, yeah. Whatever a problem he's had with his wrist, he's finally getting a little snap on that forehand. He's getting mm-hmm. a little more... Uh, kick to the side mm-hmm. and his backhand he's finally hitting it well so yeah i i expect him to do big things yeah me so, too yes so moving on to fognini he won his 400th career uh win mm. and as a matter of fact there was a little controversy mm. today so today he won his match and uh i forgot the player's name but supposedly they've had a lot of uh drama before they were arguing about a call Mm-hmm. and the guy didn't appreciate that 
Fognini challenged and he accused him, the uh, opponent accused, accused Fognini of marking the wrong mark on Clay mm-hmm. and the umpire buying it. And there was a little altercation at the end of the match. Fognini ended up pulling it off and Fognini was trying to convince his opponent that he pointed at the right mark. Mm-hmm. So they took about five minutes just to find the mark. So what are your thoughts on uh, Fognini's 400 career win? And what do you think of this uh, little scenario here? Um, First and foremost, congrats on his 400th win. Uh, No small feat on the Pro Tour. But (laughs) Fognini's just one of those guys, you know, that just he's got a really pompous, arrogant energy to him. He beats people. And I think a lot of the time when he beats certain players, it is a partially mental war that he's winning before he finishes matches against these people. But, you know, at the end of the day, whether we want to admit it or not, Fognini is an excellent clay court player. Yes. Um, he's beaten the doll. He's beaten the best on clay. And, you know, these line calls and these little games that are being played, for me, whether he was or not, the real victory is in the fact that he was able to create the, the psychological war. That's where the real game happened and was won. The one line call doesn't change a match. I'm sorry, it doesn't. But being in someone's head rent-free the rest of the match, that changes everything. So um, that guy who's making these accusations towards Fognini, he might be right. But him thinking about the accusation for the remainder of the match was playing into the hands of Fognini. The guy's name is Badin. Oh, Badin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've had a beef before. Now, the funniest thing was they were in each other's faces, but the chairwoman mm. was in between them. So if they really had beef, they could have just... Yeah, they could have got to go You know what? Yeah, step aside. Yeah. But no, no, no. They're just putting on a little show. So I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, you know tennis players aren't actually violent. They're all fake violent. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So we're going to move on to... Uh, Nick Kyrgios. Uh-oh. Now, he says that he's been rejuvenated uh, after his Wimbledon win, and mm. he's now more committed than ever to doing some, some making some noise on the tour. Really? Yes. Wow. He said that he's going to take his preparation seriously for the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. He said that while in the Bahamas, and he said that he'll be ready for the U.S. Open. Are you shocked that he made that statement after the Wimbledon loss? I don't want to say the word shocked, but I am a little bit impressed. Um, putting in that much time and effort into a two-week event for a guy who's never done that since he hit the tour, per se, it's it's kind of startling to hear him say, I'm more fired up than ever. When we've never heard him say he's fired up for a, a full event in general, We've heard him say he's fired up to play a, a match specifically. Correct. You know, or go to a big stage or do a team event or, you know, these special occasions he gets fired up for. But for him to say, I'm ready to bring my efforts to the tour, that's surprising. That's very surprising. And that's just another dark horse coming to another slam now. You know, Kyrgios is a master of crowd manipulation. He's a master of high energy and big stages. And the U.S. Open feeds into that. On top of that, the U.S. Open is a disadvantage for most of our favorite players on the tour. 
I feel like they perform lesser at this slam than the other three. Right. So this is almost a little bit more favorable than Australia or the French for Nick Kyrgios. Yes. So you can expect him to hopefully get a good draw. His ranking's still not phenomenal. So he's going to need whatever seed he draws in his bracket to be not Djokovic and not Nadal. And then you can expect to see him in the quarters or semis. Yes, I can see a deep run with him, especially with this uh, motivation for sure. Yeah. Now I have noticed, not that uh, uh, love has anything to do with it, but this new girlfriend that he has, he's changed his tune a lot. Big time. It's all. I want to play the French Open next year just Mm -hmm. to take her to France. She's never Mm -hmm. been to France. So now I want to make my French Open comeback after, what was it, five years or something? Yeah. So it, it's amazing. Maybe she has something to do with it. But, Absolutely, uh, she does. But uh, um, it's amazing to hear that, especially when he even said, if I was gonna, if I won, I was done. So for him, uh, if he would have won Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. But for him to say, well, no, I'm actually more prepped. I'm, yeah. I'm good. That That's shocking to me. So <clears throat> more news on Nick Kyrgios. Uh-oh. He, so while saying all that, Mm-hmm. You know, it's a uh, love-hate relationship with Clay. Yeah. He was all, um, Clay just gets way too much attention. Why is there even Clay Court tournaments at this point right now? Shouldn't we be on hard court? <laughs> what are your thoughts on Nick Kyrgios' comments on his hatred towards Clay? I hate to say it, but I was thinking the exact same thing when Dominic's team played two consecutive Clay events. I went, there's still Clay on the tour right now? Really? I mean, the Clay events, when they had, like, the Houston one that he went to, I was kind of thinking to myself even then, wow, there's a lot more Clay events than I took account for. And you know what's funny? I'm not really upset at that. It's I'm not bothered by how many Clay events there are. I'm a little more bothered that there aren't more grass events as well on the tour to kind of level the playing field. Because we know there's infinite hardcore events and infinite Clay events. But grass seems to really be a niche a few tune-up events, and then boom. You play the grass main slam, and then that's it. Exactly. Now, here's exactly what he says. He says, why is there clay court events leading into the U.S. Open? Should it there, shouldn't there be hard court uh, tournaments right now? So He's right. So right now, there is a little lull, as you just stated. Yeah. And the hard court uh, swing won't start in about maybe a week or two. Mm-hmm. So right now it's sort of a, a, a filler type. Um, yeah, they're like two fifty. Yes, you know. So that's what's happening there. So, but he does make a point. But it's been that way for a while now. Yeah, it has. But uh, I can see what he's saying. Now this is a shocking story. Rivalry renewed. Now we have Tony Nadal talking crap about Nick Kyrgios. Really? He said that Nick Kyrgios doesn't know how to. Uh, construct a point as Hmm. a matter of fact he said the reason why um, Djokovic beat Kyrgios is because he goes for too big too soon he doesn't know how to construct a point Uh, the big three have set movements to where he doesn't and he tries to hit dumb shots off of dumb positioning and he said that's why he lost he actually didn't have a game plan and he and it showed in the Wimbledon final Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on Tony Nadal talking trash on Nick Kyrgios, or is it true? It has partial truth. I'll say this. Nick Kyrgios is actually an intelligent athlete. He does have a high tennis IQ, in my opinion. I do think that he is very gifted with 
using all the dimensions of the court and exploiting open space on the court. I do think he's brilliant at that. But some players don't give you those gifts. There isn't open space and just opening up the court doesn't actually do anything on some players. When you play Djokovic, the the natural talent being gifted and having a high tennis IQ were not enough. It's not. You have to have a legitimized plan and be able to adapt and adjust the plan on the fly. He's right. He didn't do that in that match. He didn't. I felt Nick Kyrgios came out with a bit of a semblance of, okay, I need to make sure I get these things right in my game to win this. But there wasn't enough depth in the planning for him to go all the way in a five-setter versus Djokovic. And so that's accurate. But to say he doesn't know how to construct a point is insanity. This is a guy who's beaten all of the big three. Yes. You can't say he doesn't know how to construct a point. That's nonsense. This is a guy who's had thrillers against Federer, beaten Djokovic. He's two and one versus Djokovic. Correct. Now. Yes. And he's three and six versus Nadal. Yeah, something along those lines. Something like that. Yes. Um, so he's he's just a hater. That's I hate to be that guy, but Tony Nadal's a hater. And with some credence, you know, there's a reason. But nonetheless, I can't fully agree. But I will say that he was ill-prepared to beat Djokovic in that final. There was, There's not a day of the week where he goes in with the planning he had and wins that match. Right. There's just not. Right. And uh, when he got broken uh, at 4-all, that, yeah. was, that was the end right there. That was it. Yes. And But Tony Nadal does have a point as far as the footwork is concerned. Yeah. And the only one that can exploit him is Nadal. Mm-hmm. He has the right tactic to do it. And yeah. if you guys go back to uh, episodes when Nadal beat uh, Djokovic at the French Open, mm-hmm. we broke it down, and yeah. Nadal had the perfect game plan to do so. Mm-hmm. Whereas Nick Kyrgios just doesn't have that uh, uh, point construction, mm-hmm. but he does. Yes, you're right. In order to say, oh yeah, he just hits off balance. He goes for too big too soon. He's actually being more patient than ever. Yeah. So to a he's point, he's building points with the spin on his forehand. Right. You know what? So to a point, it may not look pretty. Yeah. So I'm I'm assuming that that's what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. But as far as not being able to construct a point, that's that's a dumb comment. Yeah. So the last topic is going to be uh, the Hall of Fame induction. Now the big name this year was Leighton Hewitt. Leighton. Leighton, uh, Mister Come On. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I used that. Uh, he used to make a C. Mm. so he'd uh, point his fingers to his head mm. and it appears that he's flexing yeah but what he's doing is he's making a c mm-hmm. so i never really liked leighton hewitt he had a, he had a little bit of a like uh he's got a irritate- jo- he's got a jokovicious yes. game yes less less fundamentally sound correct yeah but he had this irritating voice to me but when he did that little come on Mm -hmm. i was all okay and and it's funny (laughs) because people are looking man are you flexing right now yeah and i'm on no i'm doing the c come on so anyway going back to leighton hewitt uh he has a couple of grand slams Mm -hmm. i don't know if you knew this he is actually in his era he has a winning record against all his opponents safin sampras agassi um, although, not not to take anything away from him, uh, Agassi and Pete were at the tail end of their career. Yeah, I think that P- uh, prime Pete Sampras would dominate Leighton Hewitt. One thousand percent. But he did have a seven and seven record against Andy Roddick, 
which I thought was amazing. That's impressive. I thought that Roddick was going to mop the floor with him, mm-hmm. but he didn't. He was the youngest number one in the last 40 years or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And he has a couple of uh, Grand Slam championships. Yeah. Uh, do you think he was deserving of the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. I do think he was deserving of it. I do think he was in the softest era of the last 30 years. Um, that's my opinion there. But you don't choose what era you're in, you know? So it's up to you to still be number one during that time. And he did face the tail end of the golden era of tennis. And he faced the early era of the following era, which is the big three era. Yes. He, he faced a lot of them at the, the very early phases. So, you know... I think that he did a lot for the sport. I mean, just pioneering, come on. Yes. Enough. He deserves Hall of Fame just for that. (laughs) But, you know, he's probably the last player I can remember that had the counter-punchy, scrappy game to really, really take off with it. Yes. We haven't seen anyone since that was able to actually reach number one and win slams with that play style. And it's going to be a while. Yes. You know, he's... He was really scrappy. He was not blowing people off the court. He wasn't a, a premium striker. He didn't have a super weapon. And he still was very successful. And for sure, he was getting in people's heads with it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Hewitt is, is sort of a Djokovic-type Agassi yeah. player. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not comparing him to the power of Andre Agassi. Yeah. I'm talking about the taking it early yeah. like Andre Agassi, with the exception that Andre went bigger. Yeah. Whereas Hewitt guided it more. Yeah. But he he at least took it early and he he did what he could with the talents he had. Yeah. So again, as you stated, he wasn't a soft era, but you still have to dominate even in your era. So you're still playing professionals week in and week out, no yes. matter what era you're in. So uh, congratulations to him, and uh, I think he had a pretty good career. I agree. Um, it's funny because he's been very active in the pro tour since his retirement. Right. We saw him. I don't know if you remember, I was just watching this match recently, but I want to say it was 2016, 18. But Federer was at the Australian Open versus Millman. And it was that match oh, where yes. Millman had him on the ropes. And Federer was just an escape artist that got out of that match. But uh, Hewitt was with Millman. He was in his box. He was cheering for him. He was a part of the process of that journey. Hewitt has um, done the Davis Cup, ATP Cup stuff. Hewitt has been a part of the Curious journey. He's been a part of the Atomic journey. Um, Hewitt is an in instrumental Australian in future Australia's tennis. That's true. He's one of the few who even supported Curious when none of the other veteran Australians did. Right. So Hewitt definitely is deserving, and he's given back to the sport as well. Exactly. So, so again, congratulations to him. Is uh, Unless you have anything else to add, that pretty much concludes this episode. Um, I have a funny story about, okay. um, I just randomly learned this watching a video, but, um, do you know how Kyrgios met his current girlfriend? Okay. This is going to be interesting. I do not. Okay. So prior to them meeting, she was an influencer. Oh, okay. So she was popular on Instagram. I see. And Kyrgios came across her page and you know, he had to figure out a way to get in touch with her. Right. He found out she had a small little company where she sold like trinkets and mirrors and stuff. So he ordered some. He said, yeah, I want to buy a mirror. (laughs) And he showed up to her place to buy the mirror and then asked to date her. And that was how they got to know each other. 
So, um, and that was coming off of him dating some pro chick. Some yeah, uh, uh, Tom Janovich. Yeah. Who also just dated Baratini. Yeah. So, uh, very interesting, very funny. But um, I thought that was interesting that Kyrgios found an influencer and bought one of her products in order to get to know her. So, well, since we're mentioning love stories, uh, th- this one isn't as this one's actually probably a little more creepier. But Andre, when he uh, started dating Steffi Groff, mm-hmm. he would schedule his practices around hers. Okay, I see you, Andre. And then would try to speak to her. And then uh, Steffi even said, "Right now, I have a boyfriend. Get away from me." And, mm. and, and and Andre would sort of just, you know, but and would keep up in touch. And then finally, about three, four months later, found out that she didn't have a boyfriend anymore. Mm. So now she's scheduling, he's scheduling his uh, uh, schedule, his uh, practices around her schedule again. Mm. So that that's a pretty cool story, too. Persistence, baby. I don't know if that's stalker or whatnot. But it's, it's persistence. Persistence. Okay. okay. Um, it's only stalker when she calls the police. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it, it, there's a thin line there. There's yes, a very yes, thin yes. line, but it sounds like he danced around it correctly. So yes, good so, for him. So those two stories are pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, buying a product just to talk to someone is—it's eh, on the fence. But I give him a passing grade there. So, um, ATP. See you guys next week. I hope you guys were entertained. Episode 108. We